Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal Podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. This is a special edition of the Arthroscopy Podcast, Episode 1 of a two-part series with one of the legends of arthroscopic shoulder surgery, Dr. Steve Snyder of SCOE. In Part 1, we discuss the technique and background of his single-row rotator cuff repair method. In Part 2, we discussed his forthcoming article on results of this technique in medium to large cuff tears and its implications. Greetings, this is Rob Hartzler with TSAOG Orthopedics in San Antonio. Today on the podcast, we have the pleasure of speaking with a legend in arthroscopic shoulder surgery, Dr. Steve Snyder, who's a founding member of the shoulder division of Southern California Orthopedic Institute, SCOE. Dr. Snyder, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rob. Today, we're going to be discussing your article, which is accepted and in pre-proof form and available online at the Arthroscopy Journal, entitled Arthroscopic Repair of Medium to Large Rotator Cuff Tears with a Triple-Loaded Medially-Based Single-Row Technique Augmented with Marrow Vents. Dr. Snyder, congratulations to you and your co-authors on this article. Thanks, Rob. You know, this is a, a honor for me for several reasons. One is that the the guys who worked with me on this paper, I should say I worked with them, uh, you know, are all guys that I've trained here at SCOE. And um, it uh, it shows a continuity of our shoulder system here that we all agree that this technique has been beneficial and we're happy to share it with uh, our arthroscopic associates around the world. So this is a this is a treat, and it's a nice way to wind down my practice. Well, go ahead and tell us what you think are the key points um, of the surgical technique. Sure. Um, let me start by saying um, I've been in the shoulder business now for forty years, and uh, I started training uh, and with some of the great senior shoulder doctors, many of whom aren't no longer with us, uh, but Frank Job, uh, Charlie Muir, Charlie Rockwood, uh, Rick Matson, and names that probably a lot of the younger uh, listeners haven't even heard of. But these were all open shoulder surgeons, brilliant men. And um, I had the pleasure of traveling to meet with them, spend some time with them, and learn how to do rotator cuff repairs in the traditional fashion that uh, that they all uh, used in their practices. So uh, when I started doing arthroscopy, again, back in the early uh, 1980s, um, there really wasn't anybody to teach me how to do it. Lanny Johnson, of course, was um, in Michigan uh, performing arthroscopy, and there were a few others around the country, uh, Dick Casperi in Virginia, but nobody on the West Coast that I really had any contact with, so it was necessary for us to kind of put these techniques together ourselves. And having learned from the open surgeons and using fairly large incisions and, um, you know, the techniques that they uh, they taught us, um, I was um, very um, much influenced by the fact that they had studied the results of their techniques all the way back to Codman, uh, some good, some bad, but they were able to develop techniques that made a lot of sense to me. And one of the things in particular with Rick Matson in Seattle was that he believed and taught 
that the way to fix a rotator cuff was to take multiple small sutures and pass those sutures near the edge of the particular cartilage and sometimes even medial to the edge of the cartilage after removing a, a small five to 10 millimeter band of cartilage and, um, and tie those sutures laterally over the tuberosity. But the tip of the rotator cuff that was attached to bone was right next to the articular cartilage as a single row repair. And each and every one of the uh, sages that I mentioned and, and many more who trained with Dr. Neer especially uh, did the same thing. And those gentlemen having had the shoulder completely opened could have tied those sutures any way they wanted. And it wasn't through a lack of intelligence or experience that they chose that. But, but that was the way that they found that the rotator cuff would heal the best. And they emphasized so strongly that there cannot be tension in the repair. Because tension in the repair causes sutures to fail and the rotator cuff not to heal. So when I started doing arthroscopy, and in fact, Lanny Johnson, who did the first arthroscopy cuff repairs that I'm aware of, uh, we chose to replicate uh, the successful open procedures only using arthroscopic methods. And of course, Lanny didn't have suture anchors, so he used uh, a staple. But he always put that staple right at the edge of the articular cartilage to seal the joint and to uh, repair, do the repair without any tension. And uh, the benefit and disadvantage of his technique was that the staple often had to be removed because it was proud. And upon removing the staple, he was able to visualize the, the healing that took place inside the joint, right at the edge of the articular cartilage, as well as the regrowth of the footprint uh, that had not been reattached because the tendon had been shortened and therefore could only be attached to the edge of the cartilage. Now, Rob, this is getting a little bit uh, carried away here, and I, I'm, I, I'm talking off the top of my head like old guys do. No, I love but, it. I mean, I think this kind of history, is it's really important to, you know, to know the rationale behind the technique, and so, I, I mean, keep going by all means. You know, I think it's important. The question is, this this technique that I'm espousing in this article, along with my partners and and some uh, associated guys, um, this technique is is something that is not um, it's nothing radical, or in fact, just the opposite. It's it's a look back to history, uh, utilizing the best techniques that in 40 years we've been able to put together. And believe me, we've tried everything that that made sense that's come up along the way. And so I'll, I'll go through this step by step. I, I mentioned why we use the attachment point right at the edge of the uh, articular cartilage rather than as many people who are doing so-called single row repairs, attaching the tendon way out laterally on the tuberosity. Uh, to us, that makes no sense because when the rotator cuff is torn, the edge of the tendon is, is, is damaged and the tendon often tears through the minimally or avascular area, which is five to 10 centimeters medial uh, to the uh, lateral edge of the tuberosity. So it, it leaves us then a, a large stump of dead rotator tendon on the tuberosity and it makes no sense 
since it has to be debrided in order to reattach the, the remaining uh, stump of tendon, um, it makes no sense to pull the shortened stump of tendon down to the lateral edge of the tuberosity. It's too much tension. And so we, uh, again, followed the tenets uh, ascribed by, I call them the, you know, the real shoulder doctors, the guys that started all this rotator cuff repair stuff. And, and um, so there's a bunch of reasons that we don't believe in adding tension. Uh, the, the reason that I mentioned that simply the tension in the repair, when you pull a shortened tendon out to the end of the tuberosity where a normal tendon would go, uh, adds tension. And Christian Gerber and uh, Mark Gettleman and uh, uh, Brian Dierkman and, and a lot of guys, uh, uh, Dr. Dom, I mean, all these guys have done this test and shown that if you pull a torn tendon that shortened because of a tear all the way out to the edge of the tuberosity and try to tie it down there, you're going to increase the tension uh, that the suture sees at the suture tendon interval by up to six six times, six X, which certainly isn't a healthy way to try to hold the tendon down to bone. So uh, again, we have to dismiss that and never try to pull a shortened tendon out to where a longer tendon was supposed to be. And the other thing is, um, in order to do this so-called SCOE technique, you have to have a little um, little faith, a uh, little religion, belief in healing and that type of thing, because um, you know the body in our in our experience does have the ability to heal a lot of things as long as we give nature ideal conditions, and those conditions are uh, suture repair of the tendon to bone without tension, multiple small sutures that don't crisscross the remaining blood supply and crush it down. You know they're you know parallel or or fan shaped suture array that can occur with a single stitch configuration, not cross stitching or not mattress stitching or not, you know, crisscross patterns, which, which if you think about it, can't help but cut off any remaining blood supply trickling down through that already compromised tendon. So we, we use simple sutures and, um, Lots of sutures, as you know, we load three sutures in every anchor. And our friend Ellen Barber, who likes stitching and pulling and testing everything that can possibly be tested, did a study with us about 10 years ago where he studied these different suture configurations. And he, along with several other prominent investigators in different places like special surgery and whatnot, uh, tested the strength of the repair. Um, between uh, a double-loaded uh, suture anchor, that means two sutures in the eyelet of one anchor, and a triple-loaded suture anchor. And by adding one suture, one simple suture, not a mattress suture, but one simple suture to uh, an anchor construct, increased the resistance to gap formation by over 100%, which doesn't make a lot of sense teleologically, but it was repeated uh, in three different uh, independent testing centers. So for the cost of one additional suture, um, you get 100% more resistance to, to suture pullout. And not anchor pullout, anchors don't pull out, but sutures do pull out through tendon. So again, I, I've talked about why we don't like tension. I've talked about 
the ability to hold the tendon in position using fewer anchors. And I talked about the residual blood supply coming from the muscle tendon unit trickling down to the end of your torn tendon and how that blood supply is, is important because that's truly the only native blood supply that that tendon has. The rest of the blood supply has to come from the bone and the surrounding bursal tissues and, and that's going to take a little while. But there is no blood supply that, um, that can traverse that, um, that little, um, stumpy rotator cuff, uh, if, uh, if the sutures are crisscrossed and, and, uh, transverse and that type of thing. And that was one of the problems with Lanny Johnson's staple. When he'd take it out, the tissue that had been crushed by the staple wasn't very healthy, but the tissue that healed was the tissue a little medial to that and the tissue between the staples. So we don't want to compress the bone or the tendon to bone so hard that it doesn't get any circulation. But the, the one other thing, Rob, that, uh, you know, what about bone marrow vents? What about, or as, uh, uh, as they've been called, um, you know, multi-channeling or there's all sorts of things. Bone marrow stimulation, I never got understood why anybody would call it that because you don't stimulate it, you just release it. But we call it bone marrow vents and we take a little tiny punch. It doesn't cost any money. We poke between six, seven, eight, depending on the size of the tear, little um, cortical perforations, lateral to the area where we do our suture anchors. And those perf perforations, we do them at the time we put the suture anchors in and, and nothing comes out of the bone because we've got a pressure head of, uh, of fluid from our arthroscopic solution. But as soon as we let off the pressure, the bone marrow comes bubbling out of these little bone marrow vents and it forms a beautiful red clot. And I happen to call it a crimson duvet just because of the way it looks and that sounded nice and healthy to me. But a duvet, as I learned when I, I called it, is uh, like a big red fluffy blanket that you put on your, your bed at night. And um, crimson, of course, is a USC color. So there you go. Um, it's a perfect uh, way to express, you know, what we see when, when we get the bone marrow bubbling out. And I don't think there's anybody in the world who will ever say that adding bone marrow, which is essentially uh, platelets, which form a fibrous clot, and platelet granules, which degranulate to give growth factors, and mesenchymal stem cells, which are formed and and um, and generated in the proximal humeral uh, cancellous bone. That's what's in this superclot, this crimson duvet. And nobody would ever tell you, I mean, I hope they wouldn't, that this is unhealthy for healing because that's the only thing we have. That's the only thing we have to heal. There's no, you know, blood supply doesn't do it early on. Uh, blood supply later will help to continue the nourishment and, and health and welfare of the rotator tendon for years to come. But early on, it's got to be the healing from the, you know, the bursa and the little bit of blood in the, trickling down through the tendon, but also this uh, exuberant crimson duvet that we hope to get. So in that long some... discussion, what oh, I want is go over each one of these points in, in probably way too much detail. But uh, this is this is what we thought of. And, and of course, the idea for the crimson duvet came from uh, Dick Stedman, who, who started that, as far as I know, by 
poking holes when he used to do uh, ACL repairs and microfractures is what he called them in the in the articular surface defect in knees. And he showed that you'll get little islands of cartilage growing back. And Lanny Johnson, uh, when he did his surgery, he actually burned the tuberosity and would get uh, fibrous healing in that spot. But we didn't want uh, fibrous healing of tendon to bone. We wanted cortical healing, but the cortical bone, uh, the, the blood that comes from cortical bone doesn't have have uh, any uh, stem cells. The stem cells come from bone marrow. So we compromised his technique and Stedman's technique by by simply leaving the subchondral or the cortical bone, you know, sub um, emphasis uh, issue intact, and 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 making these uh, bone marrow vents, uh, but leaving the cortical bone intact. So we get cortical attachment with little cores, little umbilicus-like attachments to the fibrous tissue uh, coming from the, you know, the bone marrow. So that's, that's the whole theory. Boy, that's a long explanation. No, that's perfect. I mean, I, there's some tremendously helpful figures in the paper that show you know, how the, how the bone marrow vents are supposed to look at the crimson duvet. And then you've got a really nice second look arthroscopy picture that I would encourage everybody to look at where, um, you know, it, it looks really almost like a normal rotator cuff that's been reconstituted over that area. And it's, you know, it's one of the things that I actually wanted to ask you about. You mentioned kind of, you know, you have to have a little bit of faith in the technique. And I wonder if we don't, we don't give this area of the body enough credit to be able to heal, because it seems like in general that surgeons are kind of pessimistic about rotator cuff repairs, healing, especially now, now we have some other options for treating them besides just direct primary repair. Um, and so I think there's a little bit of a trend towards just abandoning repair if there are preoperative characteristics that are unfavorable. Thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, um, I like every orthopedist in, in history. When I started in practice, and that means when I started doing shoulder arthroscopy in uh, 81, 1981, believe it or not, um, I did work, workman's comp. Uh, and a lot of it. I mean, that's how you make a living. And in those days, uh, when nobody else was doing arthroscopic cuff repairs, I had to prove not only to myself to be an honest surgeon, but to my patients and my partners and my fellows and the te- and the people we would be teaching at the ESH meeting and at Anna, particularly, that this wasn't uh, just a fluke kind of thing, that these people were really humans. So I kind of made a contract. Uh, and back in those days, you could get paid, uh, you know, for, or, you, you know, uh, the insurance companies would pay for MRIs and things like that without a big fight. So I have on the desktop on my computer at least 200 MRI scans pre and post op showing uh, the good and the bad of this type of repair. And we've always done this repair. Early on, we only had two sutures per anchor, but we always, always put the anchors right at the edge of the cartilage, use simple sutures and this and that. But I got all of these post-op MRI scans. And, and one thing I noticed was that between six and eight weeks post-op, the footprint, which is, you know, the, 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 uh, 
necessary, the necessary attachment of the rotator cuff to bone, because I only put the the uh, tendon edge right at the edge of the articular cartilage, if I got an MRI scan before six weeks, there was nothing on the footprint area of the rotator. There's nothing. You couldn't see anything. And then I did another MRI scan at three months, and the entire footprint has regrown. And and to me, um, I had a, a really smart and a uh, little bit caustic uh, member asked me a question at the, I think it was the shoulder or arthroscopy association meeting of Steve, why do you think that's good? That's only scar tissue. <laughs> well, you know, how does, how does everything in the, in the body heal? <laughs> you know, scar tissue is how it heals. That's how my skin heals. That's how my bone heals. And then it matures into the functional tissue you want, but it has to start out of scar tissue. So we went back and biopsied some of these things. And Steve Arnosky published a, a biopsy result of one of my patients showing that these things do mature into a fibrocartilage-like emphasis. It's not perfect, but it works perfectly. And so why does it have to not, you know, not be considered, or why, why do people say, well, it's just scar tissue? And, and it's, it's interesting that, uh, that that's the thought. But nature does heal. Nature has the ability to heal in old folks and young folks. This article, currently in press and arthroscopy, entitled Arthroscopic Repair of Medium to Large Rotator Cuff Tears with a Triple-Loaded Medially-Based Single-Row Repair Technique Augmented with Marrow Vents, can be found on the journal's website at arthroscopyjournal.org. Please join us next time for part two of this series.